Welcome to Let's Be Well Together podcast. We're your wellness check-in team. We talk about different categories of wellness and seeking balance between them. It all stems from my book, Accidentally Well. And there's overview info on our website, letsbewelltogether.com. This is episode 10. It is Sammy and John, and we are back for another episode of Let's Be Well Together podcast. And Sammy, I'm, I want to ask you some questions, and, mm-hmm. and I know we're both coming at this from kind of different places and times in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me ask you this. Do you, when you think about wellness, can you imagine the concept, I'm going to call it nirvana, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people understand. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like, like kind of like that sense of that peace and like happiness where like you're just, you're just kind of like done. You're like right. in this like sensation of like all good. Is yeah. what I picture. And, you know, probably most of us in the West don't really understand the concept mm-hmm. the way it should be. But if you use a different word or a different thought, there's some destination we can get to someday mm-hmm. if we do things right. And then we'll arrive. We'll be there. And then we can enjoy that feeling. Right. We can hang out there. And, you know, my thinking of it would be uh, forever. Like mm-hmm. w- once you get to that state, you don't lose it. Is that your thinking? Yeah. Like for me, like Nirvana is like a difficult thing. Yeah. Like I agree. Like I I agree with what you're saying where like that's kind of like the thing of like where you get there and then it's kind of like you're there. But I feel like in our world, specifically like the westernized world, it's really difficult to achieve because we're always chasing the next thing. There's always something that you don't have. And when I was in India, that's something like I learned a lot about because we were with Buddhist monks where it's nothing's really about like materialistic things it's just about like being so i think with our world it's it's a lot more difficult to achieve nirvana because even when you're retired you're like well now i want a cottage on the lake or now i want grandkids and now i want to do this right so i feel like it's a difficult thing to achieve in our current society but the concept is there concepts there and um and people like to feed off that concept like a lot of marketing likes to go with like once you do this you'll be your best self right so true yeah (laughs) so i think both of us agree that this concept is out there and i can tell you that for most of my life Mm -hmm. i I wasn't like actively pursuing it but it was this dream that was out there yeah okay so do you have any idea how to start on the path towards it no (laughs) (laughs) like for me i'm just kind of like living my life every day and you know trying to focus on the good and seeing where it takes me but you know like i don't know that step of where will i be when i'm in this place of nirvana yeah and and so again for me so i'm older but for decades it was out there as this dream that Mm -hmm. i could eventually be somewhere arrive be at peace it'd be long lasting Mm -hmm. i didn't know where to look for it right so why am I going through all that? The reason I'm asking these questions is because now that I had my breakthrough, I see things completely differently. Mm-hmm. And I just want to explore that with you a bit, especially because this is new to you in terms of me presenting it. And something just to mention to our guests is, you know, Sam, I asked Sammy to join the show and be part of the discussion yeah. because she's coming at this from a completely different perspective than me. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't want an echo chamber where somebody else has said, hey, I read your book and I agree with everything you say. Right. It's completely different. So let me throw some concepts at you. So Mm -hmm. 
what if I now said that I don't think that there is a place you arrive at and stay at? What if I said instead that what we're trying to do is figure out how to achieve balance? Mm. Not in the sense of getting somewhere and being there. Yeah. But in a moment. Yeah. Understanding that balance right now in this moment Mm -hmm. will look different than it will next week. Yeah. And when I hear that, like that definitely sounds more achievable. Like the word nirvana, like that like idea of being somewhere like one day just kind of seems like you never know versus the word balance and having like a balanced lifestyle for me like sounds a lot more just achievable and that I can actually do that. And that's the message I'm trying to mm-hmm. to explore and, and talk to people about because it is like I'm trying to demystify this whole concept because it's kind of being demystified for me with this new outlook. Right. But it's still hard work. And, and you know, for example, I, I mentioned, I think, on another show that I, I thought that someone from the Eastern philosophy, a Buddhist monk who mm-hmm. achieved nirvana, that somehow it kind of struck him like a lightning bolt. Like, aha! As opposed to that person working so hard over so many years in so many yeah. different endeavors, including physical ones, to feel like that. Mm-hmm. So I can't help but wonder, at least for me, because I'm not going to trying to achieve something for someone else, yeah. if I can get to my so-called nirvana in a different way, mm-hmm. which is achieving a state of balance and then trying to hold it and then realizing that it's fluid and realizing that it'll change. And, and part of this comes um, from the dance balance analogy that Sheila and I talked about, where she said she used to think when she started that through strength she would hold balance and hold, keep it. Right. And then realize she's forever moving around the stage and forever kind of just losing a bit and regaining it losing yeah, it, regaining yeah. it yeah and so why is it hard work though because and i do want to talk a little bit from time to time on these segments about what i'm trying to communicate in my book the, the trouble that i had then is how do you achieve balance mm-hmm. and that again seemed like this big mystery it seemed like this thing i'd never figure out yeah but i think because i was mystifying it or right how, so how do you demystify it so that's the whole point of this approach. First, figure out for, for yourself, yeah, what are your areas of wellness that are important to you? Right. Yeah, like for me too, like um, the idea of balance is like super different to everybody, right? What might be really important to you is different for myself, who's different for, you know, the person walking down the street today uh, versus the word like nirvana really sounds like it should be the same for everyone. For me, um, like balance, I would say like a lot of that comes with like, Work-life balance is the thing that comes to mind where I'm working and I'm enjoying what I'm doing, but I'm also able to, you know, not sacrifice my physical health or my mental health. And for me, a lot of my mental health comes from being with people, like socializing. Like I would say like I'm an extrovert in that way where I like to be around people and I gain a lot of energy from that. So when I'm separated, and that's why COVID was so difficult for me because being like separated from like my people that I like to see and that gives me energy. Like that's definitely a part of the balance that I would say um, is important to me. Yeah. And that's a perfect example and how we're trying to demystify it because, mm-hmm. you know, if you think of these general vague concepts of achieving balance, even work life balance, yeah, I would challenge you to say, okay, let's like, let's bear down with that. Okay. Right. What are the activities that you're doing to achieve work-life balance because people off that's probably the most often asked question when people yeah. talk about mental health how do you achieve work-life balance yeah and i think a lot of people would say you don't work as much right for sure okay disagree because the point you just made 
that different people like to do different things. Mm -hmm. And another big piece of my puzzle is not to be judgmental. So, so, but what you want, what I'm asking people to do is sit back and think about, it's not just work, social life and family. Yeah. There are other things that you're, if you actually think about it, like look at my wheel to start as an example. Yeah. Is art important to you? Right. Art is intellectual activity important to you mm-hmm. like exercising your brain is some type of approach to spirituality important to you think about all the elements that go to this work-life balance yeah and then um, do the hard work and take the next step okay for each of those categories what actually activities what activities do i do to achieve balance in them you know the beauty i think of this approach is instead of thinking about spiritual eastern goals that we'll never even know how to set our foot on the first step Mm -hmm. of the path on yeah there's a real way to that we can start working towards the work-life balance as you call it yeah in in an actual way so that's one of the messages i'm trying to communicate and the reason i'm enjoying talking to you about it is Mm -hmm. because it's kind of hitting you for the first time and it looks like it's making some sense yeah no definitely making sense um yeah and i think even I know like a lot of people when they're interviewing now, like that's one of the main things that um, a company like trying to get people to stay is like work-life balance. And a lot of that comes from like working from home or, you know, so you can kind of get like daily chores done or, you know, having um, like social gatherings within the company. And they really like, that's like a selling point now. So I definitely think it's something that's uh, becoming like very important for like people my, my age joining the workforce. And I think for both the perspective of the applicant mm-hmm. and the perspective of the employer, both would be really well served by trying to really buckle down and actually identify what, what that, that means. Yeah, for so sure. Working from home, that's a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, and what are the other things that we can do to achieve work-life balance? Yeah, so, yeah. Okay, so that that's basically the, the point I wanted to cover today um, is that it was one of the one of the reasons why I was kind of blown away by the breakthrough that I had is something that was a mystery for my whole life, where I didn't know even how to start on the path. Mm-hmm. I actually feel like I have a practical and manageable way through hard work, yeah, and probably some mistakes. But I'd rather have hard work than no path at all, for sure. But I'm 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 actually and it is working for me. I'm finding better ways to achieve balance because I'm thinking of the actual things I need to do to to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. Guests are giving their time, expanding our minds. We are continuing our chat with Michael Herman. This is part two. We'll start with a recap and then we'll head back into the interview. But typically the message that came through loud and clear was just push through, just keep pushing through. And so that's what I did. But for some reason, these colds, these flus, they just would not go away. They'd last for weeks and weeks on end. Um, And eventually, I started to get depleted of all of my energy. And so I reached a point where I just crashed. I just hit a wall and I crashed. And the thought was, what's the point? What's the point? And the thought affected me so much that I reflexively staggered back off the balcony into the apartment. And it was in that moment that I realized that the issues that I was dealing with primarily 
were mental issues. It was a severe depression. And that led to a change in mindset, and that led to an entire shift in what I started to look towards to try and recover, to try and get better. But then there was this sliver of light that seemed to enter into this deep, dark hole. And that started a process of recovery. And that process of recovery involved many things. For anybody who's a leader out there, um, I can't overstate how important the support that I got from the firm was to my recovery. The therapist really helped me go down into places that I'd been avoiding and suppressing uh, for much of my life, frankly. So let me switch to, um, to stigma then. So, Michael, you've been working really hard to try and let people try and get help and break down this stigma problem. And, and what can you tell us about that? So stigma, uh, I look at stigma as, as really a, a societal disapproval that often comes with negative stereotypes. Um, so for depression, for example, person is lazy, they're unreliable. For anxiety, the person is fearful, uh, afraid, uh, not strong. Um, so these negative stereotypes form. Um, and then there's behaviors that follow the, from those negative stereotypes that discriminate against those people. That's, to me, what stigma is. There's one definition of stigma that is a mark of disgrace associated with a particular circumstance, quality, or person. So think about that for a minute. Depression or any other form of mental illness being considered a mark of disgrace. But what happens with stigma is not only does it affect society's view of people with mental health issues, and if people are interested in learning more about stigma or the history of stigma about mental illness, I really recommend Andrew Solomon's book called The Noonday Demon, which is an atlas of depression. It's an excellent deep dive into it. Um, but what happens with stigma uh, and this happened to me, is I didn't see myself as a person who stigmatized those who were dealing with mental health. Somebody had depression or somebody had anxiety. I didn't see myself as stigmatizing them. But when it came to me, I bought into stigma hook, line, and sinker. And so that self-stigma is buying into the negative stereotypes and internalizing them. So I started to feel very isolated. I talk about how all I wanted to do was hide and stay in bed and pull the covers over my head and shut the world out. Low self-esteem, self-loathing was also present. Um, I started to feel weak. I was a weak person, and I felt undeserving. So I was undeserving of being helped. I was undeserving of getting better. And that self-stigma led to shame. And so no wonder so many people living with mental illness or a mental condition don't seek help. 
because we don't want to admit that we have issues. And if we do admit it, we don't think we deserve the help. So I don't know that there is a more toxic emotion than shame. And as Brenny Brown has said, and she's written a lot about shame and done a lot of research on the topic, shame has never been known to lead to positive change. So there's nothing good about shame. So consequently, much of the work that I had to do to get better and much of the motivation that I had to find to get better, to think I was entitled to get better, meant I had to work to confront that self-stigma. I had to work to confront the stereotypes that I had bought into. And that, I think, is one of the most difficult issues that I had to deal with for myself. And I suspect for a lot of other people who are dealing with mental health issues is that self-stigma. So part of the reason that as a society we need to come to terms with and eliminate stigma is in order to make sure that people who are having what are medical issues don't start to feel that self-stigma and which is going to shut them down and is going to prevent them from seeking the help and doing the things that they need to do for themselves to get the help to start to get better and to generate more mental wellness among people. Yeah, it sounds like so, uh, it sounds like a double whammy or, or probably more than double where on one hand, um, the condition people are in makes them feel like they just want to pull the covers over their head. They don't want to do anything anyway. And then combining not wanting to do anything anyway with something inside telling you, you don't deserve anything. It, it really, I can imagine that leading to inaction. And we, we've actually by accident almost talked about the theory of the mask a few times on, on our podcast. And really what we're talking about is things are happening and you, you're using some aspects of your life blind you from other aspects or, or that's you, right. And that's exactly right. So it sounds and, like, it sounds like it took a while before you saw this self stigma. And then even once you recognized it, it was, it's a lot of work to try and work through it. Sure. Uh, none of us want to feel the shame or acknowledge the shame. We try and push it away. And, and, and what happens is with, with self for me with self stigma was, I became ashamed of feeling shame. Um, and so one of the things I try to say to people, uh, well, there are a few things I try to say to people. One, uh, two of the things I try to say to people is, number one, we've got to start normalizing conversations about mental health and mental wellness and mental illness. By normalizing those conversations, by having them and normalizing them, we can start to break down. It's one of the main ways that we can start to break down stigma. It raises awareness. It makes it normal. It makes it part of what we talk about. And it starts to break down that mark of disgrace, uh, which starts to fade away. The second is, and and this is really important, um, what I try to say to people is, if you are struggling 
if you are living with a problem that is affecting your ability to function uh, 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 the way you would like to be able to function, because you are feeling depressed, because you are feeling anxious, because you are having some issues with substances, reach out for help. Tell somebody. Talk to somebody. You are deserve it. You deserve to get better. You may not think you do, but you do. And so that's the second key message that I like to convey to people is that that very important step of reaching out to somebody that you can trust. And and I I think too a third one to think about is if you're feeling that and if you're stuck, um, chances are there's somebody out there who's really wanting you to help you and really wanting to help you to find help. And they're trying to communicate that to you and you're not hearing it <laughs> because I just know that from, from talking to other people. And it, it's, it's really unfortunate how the mental health issues not only affect you and hurt you and harm you, and it's, it's this medical issue, but it also is the th- same thing that prevents you from both wanting to get help and seeing how desperately other people want to get help. So people might think, nobody loves me, nobody cares about me, and yet there's somebody right there saying, I care about you, and, and it, and it it's probably helps to, to say it. that. It's very hard to see it or to feel it. Um, but if we start to talk about it, and if we allow people to be able to talk about it, then it will be said more frequently to them. Right. Um, and, and, Yes, I understand that it's hard, and I understand that it's scary uh, to reach out to people, uh, to reach out to someone. Um, It can be very frightening uh, that you feel you're going to be stigmatized if you reach out to somebody. Um, But it's nobody should be struggling or suffering in, in silence. Um, that, that, that just is not something that should happen to anybody. And so, I think that, you know, we need to continue to talk about these issues and, and continue to, 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 to raise the awareness of these issues so that more people will feel safer to be able to realize that they can reach out to somebody. Now, believe it or not, we're, we're pretty much at the end of our time. So I hope you don't mind if we go on for a little bit extra. Um, I'm going to ask you, the last right, question. I'm a lawyer, John. I talk a lot. That's well. I, I I could. I think this is the start of a conversation. I think you're going to have to come back because there's well, so I, much to cover. I, I um, could spend hours on each one of these topics. I bet. So <laughs> let me. I'm going to ask you the question I ask every guest in a minute. But just before that, um, we can't be exhaustive. But um, you've now seen um, in the workplace and in spearheading efforts on mental health, you've seen some things that help in the workplace, for example. Can you just give us a couple more examples in addition to what you've said so far about some initiatives that firms and businesses can take to help make it a more supportive work environment for the people? Sure. So you mentioned one, which is the benefits. Um, And, and, you know, I look forward to the day where benefits uh, in terms of the scope of benefits and the amount of benefits that are offered to employees are, uh, of the same caliber and the same uh, dollar amount as for f- mental health as for physical health. Uh, 
Uh, we're a long way from there. Uh, I think organizations are getting better at it in terms of looking at what benefits they offer for mental health. The digital revolution is bringing with it opportunities to do things online. And so organizations can offer programs to people online that weren't available you know, just a few years ago. There are, I think every organization should be trying to develop its own mental health strategy that works for its organization, just as it does a business strategy. It should have a mental health strategy. And then look at what it's doing in the areas of mental health and measuring it against those strat- that strategy and evaluating their programs to see what works and what doesn't work. One of the things that I think that we've done at our firm, uh, for example, that has been extremely valuable has been mental health first aid training where people are certified and we've done it with people across the spectrum throughout the organization and all of the cities in which we operate, where we train people to be able to engage in these conversations with people who may be uh, having difficulty. And then we publicize who those people are. So you know who you can go speak to. And it's somebody who's a peer. You're not going to speak to somebody who's you know, a senior partner or somebody who you wouldn't feel comfortable speaking to. There are people trained at all levels of the organization. So that's a positive thing you can do. And then I think resources and making resources available, running programs and running programs that are different for different types of people. Some people like longer programs that have more depth. Some people like short, quick, give me, I don't have time, give me quick tips that I can use during the course of my day that will be beneficial for me. And then look at what works, look at what doesn't and and adjust. So those are just a few things that organizations can be doing if they want to make, and it should be, the business case now is clear for the benefits of mental wellness. And obviously, the moral case is crystal clear that it's in the interest of organizations to be doing this for their people. By coincidence, um, we wouldn't be talking if it wasn't for the mental health first aid training course, because and I'm not going to get into it now, but I, as I note in my book, it was the catalyst for my own breakthrough for different reasons. It was a complete coincidence, but something that I learned in that course stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And that later combined with something else and something else. And then I came up with this thought about how I can work toward balance in a practical way. And so it's nice that these things dovetailed together, that doing something that helps other people also. Right helped me in a different way. Right. So, okay. Yeah. So I learned a lot as well from the course itself. It was a real eye opener. uh, I think I mentioned it on an earlier show, but one of the things that really struck me because uh, I'm a lawyer and a a litigation lawyer. So when you tell me a story, things get pop into compartments and I want to ask you questions and better understand. And we learned very quickly in that course that if somebody is talking to you, who's someone who's experiencing an issue, Mm -hmm. It's not about you understanding that issue and how real it can be or would be or whether they're really seeing what they're seeing. It's letting them talk. It's it's hearing them. It's not about interrupting. Listening. It's, it's, it's about all, listening. Yeah, to active them. listening. Yeah. Okay. So we we are at the at the end. So I ask every guest the same couple related questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and the theory is that we're all trying to find balance in our lives, and there's always 
a little piece that's missing and that we can work on. So here's my question, Michael. If you think about different facets or categories of wellness, are you currently neglecting an area of wellness in your life? And if so, can you think even one activity that could help foster wellness in that, that area? Hmm. That's a stimulating question, John. Um, I think that one of the things that I've been struggling with for, I'd say the last month, six weeks, I'd say, has been motivation. I've been struggling to feel motivated. I've been struggling to sort of have that juice, that energy flowing. And I haven't been quite sure why. As I've thought about it, one of the things I've I've thought about is hope. And it's hard to see necessarily the connection between motivation and hope. But I think there is one. And this ties back into my story because Without hope, I was lost when I was not feeling well. And my recovery, by the way, is ongoing and will continue for the rest of my life. And before I had my moment on the balcony, I was hopeless. I was clueless as to how I was ever going to get better. But once I had a moment and that sliver of light broke through the darkness, I had the first stirrings of hope. And having hope propelled me forward. Having hope motivated me. Having hope gave me the ability to go seek out the help I needed. That gave me the motivation to start doing things for myself that were going to help me improve, uh, both physically and mentally. Um, and it's funny, it's hard to have hope, uh, in many times and, and, and many of us can lose hope very easily, but there was a guy named Vaclav Havel who was a statesman. He was a writer. He became the first president of Czechoslovakia and then the Czech Republic after the fall of, uh, of communism. And he wrote that hope is not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that something makes sense, regardless of how it turns out. And so for me, the balance I need to get my motivation, I think, back in sort of where I want it to be, is to shift from wanting things to have certain outcomes to recognizing that the process of pursuing certain things, the work that I do, the relationships that I have, the efforts that I'm engaged in around mental health, that those things make sense regardless of how they turn out. You know, um, so for me, that gives me a lot of hope and optimism. It it ties into a couple of things that that I've been working on. so first of all, I've generally been an optimistic person and, and I've been making an effort when I have a choice to choose optimism, which is related to hope. Um, I choose to be optimistic and, and, and look for, for good outcomes. But if you think more of not of the outcomes, but the process, one of my theories is that balance is focused on making informed choices about the trade-offs we make between these areas of wellness. And that too often in my life, I let 
trade-offs happen without seeing them, without thinking about them. And so, for example, I just let my physical health go, not because I chose to, but because I ignored it and didn't make a, a choice on that. And one of the things that came to me about informed choices is what you said is it doesn't have to work out. But the important thing is I'm thinking about these trade-offs I make between these areas and I'm doing t- making a choice for a reason and that is good. That is in itself and, and, works. And that's, and that's great because uh, and we can have a whole discussion on the issue of control and trying to control outcomes um, where we just simply can't control the outcomes. There's right. just too many variables and too many factors that are outside of our control. Um, but what we can control, and we can talk about this at length as well, what we can control is the process. We can make choices and then we can focus on the process of trying to reach a certain goal, trying to accomplish certain things. We may not succeed. We may not be successful for reasons that are completely outside our control, but we can control certain things. And if we focus on those, and as Havel says, that we focus on the things that we know make sense, regardless of how they turn out, then we're going to be able to continue to move forward. Yeah. And so we we can move forward with hope. We can move forward with optimism. And when it doesn't turn out the way we want, hopefully we learn a lesson to help us on our next choice. Um, But Michael, I can't believe how much um, we could continue to talk. Unfortunately, um, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to try and twist your arm in a few months and get you back. And we can talk about another subject. Happy to come back. Always happy to talk to you, John. This has really been fascinating. and, And thank you so very much for your time. Thank you very much, Sean. Thank you for having me. I'm Cameron, and this is The Adventures of the Starving Artist. It's been yet another go, go, go sort of week on my end of things, but I'm not complaining. Things are good. Things are moving in directions that I didn't expect and didn't foresee, but... It's all going okay. You might remember that I've restarted a company with a couple of my closest friends from school. And anyone who started a small business or helps run a small business will know this. But it's a lot of early mornings, late nights, and random hours wherever else you can fit them in during your day. When you factor in our different time schedules for work, plus a time zone change, granted it's only one hour, but even that's enough to make a difference. It can be very difficult lining up consistent, regular times to meet up with your team and keep things moving forward. So right from the get-go, we've been experiencing that as a challenge, but so far, so good. We've managed to maintain consistency, and I'm really happy about that. Today, I want to share with you one of the experiences that I had this week from one of our meetings. It was one of the meetings where it was sort of asynchronous. Not everybody could make it due to other schedules, you know, work, life. It happens. So it was just my buddy JC and me in this meeting. And we were trying to sync write, uh, that is, write a song for use in a video. And we were having sort of a creative roadblock. And so he brought this exercise to the meeting that I haven't done since school. And th- this is the, the focal point <laughs> for this week's episode. Uh, it's called object writing. 
And the idea is you take a noun, tangible or otherwise, uh, at random, and you write about it for 10 uninterrupted minutes, engaging the senses. So what does it look like, smell like, feel like, taste like, sound like, etc. Oftentimes when people dive into this, it can be sort of rigid. Uh, it can be kind of forced. And there was definitely some of that during the first couple of minutes while we did this. But by the end of it, I was in the zone, and when the 10 minutes had elapsed, it felt like a blink of an eye. You get into that mode, and it's just, oh, we're done? Okay. So then what happens is, after you've written your bit for 10 minutes, you read it to the other people. The word we had was tapestry, so I talked about how each individual stitch would have been woven into the fabric, the rough feeling it would have under your fingertips, the different colors, how it would flutter in a breeze, all those sorts of things. I thought it was pretty good. And then JC read his, and I was absolutely blown away. Like, it was staggering how good it was. He went not only into depth about the description, especially with the five senses, but it managed to, uh, to pull some metaphors into it and run with them. It was just, it was art. Not just a writing exercise, it was art. And I was really, really blown away. And I had this quick moment of self-doubt where it's like, geez, am I not good at this? And that's just what I wanted to share with you today. Creativity does not need to be a pursuit of perfection. And as someone who's in a musical field, perfection is often what gets you the gig, and that's the music that gets listened to. So there's this insane, like a huge pressure to be perfect or as close as you can be on a musical front. And this was one of the first creative experiences I've had in a while where there wasn't that pressure. It was totally free, totally open, and I want to take that perspective forward with me when I do other things musical. I encourage you to try this exercise, object writing. It takes 10 minutes. You can do it either before, during, or just after your morning coffee, or maybe when you get home from work, or who knows. But 10 minutes, not a huge amount of time. I thought it was really cool. And what was awesome about it was that the rest of that writing session flowed really naturally and easily, just because we took the 10 minutes and put ourselves in creative headspace. I guess in a nutshell, you could boil this down to creativity does not need to be a pursuit of perfection. That's pretty well it from me this week, my friends. I really do encourage you to try this object writing thing out. It's, it really puts you in a creative headspace. Grab a dictionary, open it at random, pick a noun, and you're off to the races. Or you can do what we did, which is just straight up Google object writing prompt. There are a bunch of websites that'll do it for you. Once you've got your word, 10 uninterrupted minutes just writing about it from all of the sensory angles, and then review what you came up with. See what kind of headspace that puts you in for the day or for the week. I'm Cameron. This is The Adventures of the Starving Artist. Until next time. If you like what we're doing and enjoy the show, please spread the word about us. Connect with us on social media. We post regularly on our Instagram account, including show previews and takeaways after a show is aired. Feel free to comment and send us your thoughts. Follow our Instagram account. It's at let's.be.well.together. We do have a Facebook and Twitter page, but Instagram is our primary social media site. Please also subscribe to us 
and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Move that body. Like we're meant to do. So, Sammy, today, if I can, I want to talk about an article I saw in the Runner's World magazine. Mm-hmm. I saw it way back in March of 2017, and it was by Peter Sagal, S-A-G-A-L, and it's called How to Eat. And the reason I want to talk about it is because I saw a nutritionist, and mm-hmm. this isn't the show to go through the detailed plan that, yeah. that I went through, but um, it's all about healthy eating, balanced eating, mm-hmm. you know, there's not, it's not any of these kind of specific diets like a keto diet or anything else. Right, yeah. Now, I have, another time I'll talk about how I've reduced my carb intake, but I don't eliminate right. it. Anyway, I just thought it was really cool because after reading a lot and seeing a lot about healthy eating, these four principles that he talked about, and, and three of them came from a quote from another author, I think, mm-hmm. Michael Pollan, P-O-L-L-A-N. Um, they're just such a great, simple way to think about healthy eating. Mm-hmm. And what they say is, one, eat food. But what they mean by that is real food. <laughs> right. So not processed food. Yeah. So eat real food. Don't take stuff out of boxes. Mm-hmm. Two, not too much. Three, mostly plants. Yeah. And four, cook for yourself. And so mostly plants doesn't mean you're vegetarian. It just means that mm-hmm. you eat a lot more plants than other things. Cool. So anyway, I'm just wondering if I can get your kind of feedback on on what you think about those. Yeah. I, I definitely like... I know in my mind, I'm like, yes, like eating, eating plants and eating real food is the better way to go and the healthier way to go. I feel like for me, I'm very much like a creature of habit almost like every morning for probably the past six years, I've almost had avocado toast, like avocado basically on a bagel, some tomato and feta every morning. And I know that I'm like, I should probably like mix this up, maybe put in some like other healthy meals for breakfast because breakfast is a very important day or important part of your day and uh yeah I just sometimes it's hard for me to like get creative and that's where it comes with like making your food like getting creative and not always having the same thing um well let me just argue with you on that bit because I have the same breakfast every day too yeah do you oatmeal and it's it's actually I don't even know if this is the right way to do it but it works for me all I do is I take plain rolled oats Mm -hmm. and like not the quick ones yeah plain rolled oats and I put them in a bowl and I throw a few raisins on top and I throw some water in it and I go to bed so when I wake up in the morning it's already ready I just throw it in the microwave for less than a minute yeah throw a little cinnamon on it yeah, so it's kind of like planning, planning your your food, your meals. Yeah, but I guess the thing is, I eat that every day. Yeah, like yeah, that is true. the thing yeah. I eat, and I think that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but I do agree with you. You got to get creative at other times. During at other the day. times, yeah, and I think that's um, what a lot of people do right now is kind of like planning their meals and being like uh, prepping them, I guess, for the week. And I think that really helps. And I I don't do that, but I it is something that I want to do because I feel like prepping your meals, then you're kind of like okay. I'm going to I'm going to make this because it's all prepped and this is what I had ready and these are chopped and good to go um, versus like sometimes then when it comes to five o'clock and you're like, oh, I have to make dinner. Oh, I'm just going to order a pizza, you know, just because it's easier, it's convenient and you don't have to be creative or. OK, so know. let me be one of those, you know, like it, it happens every generation. Yeah. <laughs> so it happened when the people are older talking to me. Now it's my turn. We're like, yeah, you younger generation. Yeah. So. <laughs> My impression mm-hmm. is that a lot of millennials 
order food a lot. Yes. And so convenient. Yeah. And <laughs> my impression is that a lot of them don't even really know how to cook, like don't know how to make just a plain, healthy, mm -hmm. basic dinner. Yeah, I know. Uh, I definitely am one of those millennials that, that <laughs> is not very good in the kitchen. I can make some things. I'm like, oh, yeah, like, you know, things that my mom has been making for forever. Like, I know how to make those meals, like her lasagna or uh, chicken Alfredo pasta, like that kind of stuff. But yeah, something's interesting, though, um, is that TikTok, <laughs> my boyfriend's younger sister, like, she is such a great cook. And I feel like she owes a lot of that to TikTok. Oh, that's because great. Yeah, like they're providing all of these like quick little wow. recipes and she makes such good food. She's Gen yeah. Z, but you know, I feel like social media, there are some really good spots of it where like people are sharing their knowledge of here's an amazing recipe to have. And then you you kind of get excited about like, oh, I saw this and I want to make it. Um, but I'm definitely one of those people that's I'd rather order or just have cereal sometimes. I'm like, I'm just yeah. too lazy. I'm just going to have some cereal, you know. Okay, well, let me make the pitch for those four points. Real food. Yes. Not too much. Yeah. Mostly plants. Cook for yourself. And the one thing I'd say, so so I have to give credit to Sheila because she yeah. does most of the cooking. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at the end of the day, there are some basic elements that mm -hmm. can make for really great meals over the course of a whole week. Right. And that would be cooked vegetables yeah. of some sort. So learn how to cook some vegetables. A side salad. Mm -hmm. Some protein. And, and that depends on whether you're vegetarian or not. Right. And then whether you add carbs or not, whether that's, you know, rice or something else. Yeah. But, but you know, that's manageable to learn how to cook kind of a yeah. sampling of each of those things. And for us, for example, we we basically do um, vegetables cooked in olive oil. It's mm. pretty simple. Yeah, yeah. Cut yeah. up vegetables, throw yeah. them in olive oil. Yeah. And so, you know, make that pitch for people. It's worth yeah. it. Yeah. Look at the TikTok videos. Do what you need to do. Yeah. but. But yeah. get yourself that basic yeah. one week ability to make food for a week, plan it a bit in advance. It's Your health is just so important. Your nutrition yeah. is so important. Yeah, it's definitely something I want to get better at. I'm going to actively be thinking of. There's a thought. Popped up while running. So thinking about people, do you ever hear people and they, they say how smart they are or they try and convince you how smart they are and... It's making me think there, there's a whole bunch of categories of people in terms of intelligence, but but there's a few groups that I can think of. And essentially anybody who says they're really smart, they're not very smart. So as soon as they say that, that's a, that's a bad sign. And then there's another group kind of in the middle and they wonder if they're smart, but they don't think they are because they can think of so many things that they don't know. And that's kind of the expression, the more you know, the more you don't know. And so those people are probably okay, but... Um, they don't present themselves like they know everything. And then there's a third group who are really smart and they're so smart and they're trying to figure a whole bunch of stuff out and they're too smart to have time to worry about whether they're smart or not. So they don't even, it doesn't even cross their mind. And so, shoot, it crossed my mind while I was running. So, gosh, I hope I'm in the second group. Otherwise, I'm in the first. Uh, um, it's me. Am I? Yeah. Just let me say, flip side of the coin. Welcome back to Flip Side of the Coin. This is Sheila. And John. So I heard you talking about zero-sum game. And I, I just want to, you know, put my two cents in. Um, I was thinking that wellness, trying to get well yourself or trying to focus on yourself, sometimes can be thought of as selfish. But I feel like if you are working on yourself and you take time 
to do things for yourself, it actually does help everyone around you and others who aren't around you if they can see what's happening or what you're doing affects them. It's somebody just stuck their head into my office last week. Um, and uh, they mentioned about how they're, they're working on themselves and doing stuff for themselves. And, it, and I'm not getting into the detail, but, but essentially said that, that I feel comfortable now that I can be selfish. Um, and I think I need to after years of doing other things and helping other people. And it struck me at that point is really, really, is that what working on wellness is? Is it selfish? Well, it's, it might be a women's issue. Cause I think as a parent, you have that guilt that you always should be doing something for your children. And it's a lot of work to do, especially when you're working and you have the laundry to do, you have lunches to make, you have homework to do or birthday presents you have to buy, you know, things that all, there's, there's a laundry list of things that need to be done continuously. And you could just do that all the time. I do think that um, what you're talking about is, you know, your experience and your experience as a woman. And I think a lot of women share that. I think a lot of men would say that they're torn in different directions for, for those reasons and others, um, usually others. But by coincidence, the person who said that to me was a woman. And what she was talking about was that her kids are older now. And now she feels like she can be selfish. And and I really don't see it that way. So I really like the thought that we're talking about it because, you know, the example I used in the earlier show was, um, you know, you're on, on an airplane and they say you get oxygen yourself first and then help the people around you. And it's a decent analogy for wellness. Like you have to take care of yourself. It is for sure. Because if you're really stressed out, it does go down to your children. It brings stress into the family. It brings stress into the, the home. So I think if you can try and think of it more as um, a building block, but I also think it's really good for examples. If you're exercising, your kids will exercise. If you're eating carrots, your kids will eat carrots. You know, if you're sitting watching TV and eating chips, you know, it, it'll move down the line. So I think being a good example is part of it as well. This just shows how many sides there are to all these things. So yeah. when I talk about talked about it earlier, the context was um, that we can all help each other become well by being well and then influencing. And you're now talking about a different side of it, which is really interesting too, which is not just don't let anxiety roll downhill, but be a good example. And I, I like to keep, I probably have said this somewhere before, I like to keep quotes. I have a list of, every time I see a good quote, I throw it on my list of quotes. And one of them is exactly that point, that kids don't like being told what to do. Right. But they're often influenced by examples. Yeah. And not just not just your children, like your workplace. I find like, you know, I was the owner of a business and I found that if I was a good example if I did all the work, if I cleaned, if I did my job well, then they would also do their job well. They did it through example because they wanted to, you know, be equal. Um, but the the point that I'm trying to make is that you have to make time for yourself. It's really important because it will help people around you. So don't think of it as a selfish thing yeah and that's what i'm trying to riff off if that's an expression is that a good <laughs> expression i don't know i'm too old but 
Yeah, I don't think it's selfish. I think it's a necessity. We have to change the way. And and Michael Herman talked about um, self stigma, and that's kind of what it reminds me of that yeah. that somehow we're stigmatized into thinking that if we work on ourselves, if we take the time, like for example, um, being fitness related. Um, a doctor told me a few years back that the thinking had changed. And instead of saying, for example, that you should exercise, you know, so many minutes, so many times a week, the thinking is you should be active one hour a day. Right. You should take an hour a day to be active. Yes. And I agree. That's. And yet how many people will tell you, I can't do that. I can't, I can't, that would be selfish. That would be, you know, so. So make time for yourself. Be selfish. Let's change the discussion. Let's change the outlook. Let's stop stigmatizing ourselves and and others. Yes, right now. Okay. Please remember, we're not providing advice. We're sharing our experiences and thoughts. We hope to inspire you to think about and foster wellness actively in ways that work for you. We try and get things right, but we can't guarantee everything we say is correct or the things we talk about will work for you. We urge you to consult with qualified people when you need advice. Let's be well together and let's be sure to do that in a safe way. It is sign-off time. I actually listened to that episode on my long run today, which was a really good one. Sheila said last week after our sign-off, she's like, I'm so glad that you can talk to other people about your running stuff now and I don't have to listen to it. I didn't say that online. I wanted to say it live, but I didn't. (laughs) I'm like, it's so great that he can talk to people. Because in other words, stop telling me about it. Yeah. But I, I had a great run today though. I kind of held back for, I did a long run, 18K. I held back for the first 14, just nice and easy. And then I pushed it for the last four just to see if I could, and I could. But more importantly, I actually listened to the this episode just to see how the sound levels were. I'm really happy with it. So um, I hope that people get a chance to listen to it and get something out of it. Sammy, it was your birthday last week, your champagne birthday. How did that go? It was, yeah, 27 on the 27th. It was a lot of fun. Um, had a lot of activities we did. I was able to do like a little wine tour, had my birthday party. It was a very busy weekend. And um, on the Friday night of the birthday party, I was also able to sign the deed to a house. Wow. All right. Oh my goodness. Such a big deal. Yeah. I mean, they were able to be first time home buyers now. So I'm just feeling very grateful and excited. Um, And I know it's going to be next busy couple of months. So mm-hmm. prepare for that. So maybe a little bit of re- relaxation this week. Yeah. Just to yeah. jump in, um, in this day and age for anybody kind of in your age to be able to actually get a house with a house market the way it is, it's just such a huge deal. So super congrats. Thank you. Yeah, it was great. We we're super lucky and very thankful. Yeah. How about you, Sheila? What do you got going on? Um, well, I am actually going to the theater this week. So I'm really excited about that. Going to live theater, Stratford. Uh, we're going to see Chicago. So that is what's going on with me this week. Okay, so it's a quick one. Well, that's good because we have a bit of a long show. I hope everyone enjoyed it and we'll see you next week, hopefully. Okay, that is it for today's show. Please try and make wellness a priority. You deserve it. If you feel the need to talk to someone or ask for help, please do that. Accept yourself for the person you are. So long. Adieu. Auf Wiedersehen. Goodbye.